2: And welcome along to this week's La Liga Lowdown Match Day Recap, which is rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. I'm your host, Drew McTeer, speaking to you from a cold and wintry Madrid. And the weather in the Spanish capital and across other parts of the country has been one of the main talking points of the weekend's action or non-action. Storm Filomena was the biggest snowstorm to hit Madrid since 1971 and led to the postponement of a couple of games. Atletico Madrid vs Athletic Club was due to take place on Saturday afternoon but was postponed to an as yet unknown new date because the team from Bilbao were unable to land in Madrid. The match between Elche and Hitafi that was scheduled for Sunday was also postponed because the Hitafi players were unable to leave Madrid due to the weather. It was moved from Sunday to Monday but may yet be postponed again. Hitafi are angry because They've been unable to train since Friday and because several of their players spent Sunday nights stuck in some Ubers that had been sent to take the players to a hotel near the airport, the cars got stuck in the snow and the players had to get out and help push to get them going again. We'll see if they can manage to play that game on Monday night, while the other Monday night game between Huesca and Real Betis is at risk too. One of the games that was at risk but that did go ahead was Osasuna versus Real Madrid. After spending three and a half hours sitting in the plane on the runway at Madrid's airport on Friday night, Real Madrid did make it to the city of Pamplona and, thanks to the work of the ground staff, snow was cleared from the pitch and the game was played, finishing in a 0-0 draw. We'll talk about that game with our resident Real Madrid fan, Hassan Karim. Now, Has Zinedine Zidane was very angry in his post-match press conference about the conditions and said that the game should have been postponed Because of the state of the pitch. What did you think about that? Did the pitch really condition the game that much?
3: I think it was quite clear to see that this did really affect the game going forward. I mean, it looked like Real Madrid were really struggling to move the ball around in the final third, given how icy and stuff the pitch was. So it really, uh, I think it did really have quite a large effect on uh, the overall play in the game. And I think you know it, it. kind of may have altered Zidane's tactics a bit, you know. In, you know, in terms of who he chose. Um, uh, even Luka Modric made a couple of, uh, you know, mistakes in in that in those conditions. So it it shows that it was definitely something that should have been considered and probably shouldn't have been played ahead. That's before you even considered the fact that they were stuck on a plane for numerous hours in the airport before they could even take off. I'm sure that also had an effect on the team. So, all in all, this definitely should have gone ahead and Zan had every right to be quite frustrated, which he was in his post-match press conference.
2: Yeah, he certainly was. I'm in around four Zidane press conferences every week and this is by far the angriest I've ever seen him. Putting the conditions to one side, must be concerning, though, how little Real Madrid created.
3: Well, we typically know Arsenal as quite a you know a tough pressing side. You know, it's it's something that we we know of them. So for them to really kind of go defensive in this game and sit in essentially what was like a four-five-one block, um, it it just uh it really made it tough for Madrid to break through that because they essentially were heavily relying on crossings and cutbacks, which they dealt with very well. They just packed the area and didn't allow for any space. Um, and there wasn't anything in the way of high, you know, high volume shots being created or chances being created. They just really made it tough for Rail to do anything. Um, you know, whilst uh, Asensio and Hazard did, you know, create some very good moments, particularly in the start of the second half. It just, it was hard. It was hard. It was really hard for them to, to find that that little bit of space to make that difference. Um So that that definitely had an effect. And again, I think it may come as a surprise to Zidane um, that they chose to take that approach. Maybe he was expecting a bit more of a sort of free-flowing side, but I mean, I guess for a side that are currently now scrapping to get every point they can, it made sense.
2: Eden Hazard started this one, his first start since the end of November. How do you think he did?
3: I actually think Hazard was probably... The joint best attacker in that game, alongside uh, Marco Asensio, simply because everything that f- was positive in Real's attack essentially flows through his side of the field. His heat map was like stupendous, and if you look it up, he covered so much space on that left hand side. So for someone that was kind of just finding himself again, that was really impressive to see that much activity from him. He didn't really have the best of the times connecting with Karim Benzema. Um, but, he, you know, he's very helpful with uh, Furlan Mendy on the left-hand side. Those two connected very well. He connected with the midfield very well. A lot of the positive moments came from him. Obviously, he finished with three dribbles. Um, you know, he, he he did well. He did do very well. And I was very, very pleased with what I did see. Yeah, he, you know, there's a few moments where he played off a few sloppy passes or tried to be a bit too cocky on the ball. But generally speaking, a very, a very good performance from the Belgian. And he can only grow from there. Um, and he was Rails best ball-carrying player throughout the entire time he was on the field. So yeah, definitely a positive performance from him.
2: And lastly, just another word about Osasuna. You mentioned before how they went more defensive than usual with their 4-5-1. But they'll be pretty happy. It definitely paid off for them, no?
3: It's like I said earlier on. Um, yeah, they took they, it took me by surprise. I was expecting a bit more of a physical kind of attacking press from them you know considering where they are on the table you think that the and at home as well you know they they go for it yeah okay you're up against the league champions but you know you've got home advantage in kind of tricky conditions you know you, you think that may kind of fall in favor for you somehow some way um, but it just uh, it just it just didn't really go that way from them they just sat back and allowed Real to build from the back and just were happy just to sit down sit down and just shut everything off and ju- ju- just sit in that block um which you know it's I guess it makes sense you know trying to secure every point they can but yeah, it was a frustrating watch for sure I mean if you were just a neutral watch in this game this definitely wasn't the game of the weekend to tune into it was uh, it was quite a drab affair but they uh, they went out to obviously secure something they secured something so I guess for for them it's job done
2: yeah, 100% asked, not the game of the weekend, but at least it was one of the games of the weekend that did get played. We'll move on then to talk about what was the game of the weekend, which was definitely Sevilla 3 Real Sophie Dad 2. This was packed full of back and forth action, especially at the start of each half. To break it down as part of our Sore Throat Game of the Week segment, here's Sam Leverage. Strap yourselves in and enjoy this mad one.
4: Sevilla and Real Sociedad, two of the teams, fighting for a place in the top four this season. And in a weekend which was already beginning to look like there might not be too much football, given the weather conditions. We were relying on this one to produce the goods, especially after the Atleti game had already been postponed. And they did just that. It was a five-goal thriller at the Estadio Ramon sanchez one. And this is exactly how it unfolded, kicking off with an early goal. Just three minutes in, and the early Saturday kickoff. half the people watching were still half asleep or having their lunch. But Yusef Ennezeili certainly wasn't.
5: Siri puede marcar, gol de Yusef Nesiri, gol del Sevilla. Ahí, gol
2: del Sevilla, vamos en el minuto tres, marca. As we heard there
4: from Canal Sur Radio and Jesús Marquez, the Real Sociedad defense looked like they were frozen in an igloo it wasn't a great start for Eosothi that some brilliant movements from Suso to Fernando, then set in in Azalea, and it was 1 0. But that lead didn't last long.
0: Take anything away as well from the pass. Hold on, the back pass here. Unbelievable. And it's an absolute
1: calamity in defence. What a start to this game. <laughs> Not even five minutes on the clock, and it's 1 1.
2: Copa Cabana football, Glenn. can we say that?
4: As the guys at La Liga TV showed there, it was an unexpected goal and one which he couldn't help but laugh. Graham Hunter couldn't contain his laughter when Diego Carlos chipped it over his own goalkeeper, Bono. It was the typical one that if that had happened in 2000, it would have been on a video highlights reel for years to come. And it would be in your Christmas stocking, that's for sure. It was Diego Carlos chipping the ball over Bono a real mismatch of communication and Real Sociedad was suddenly back in the tie despite there still being less than five minutes on the
5: clock. Goal, goal,
4: goal, 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 goal. Just two minutes later, and there was another goal. And Nezeiri, again, as we heard there from Canal Sur Radio, a brilliant individual goal. The Moroccan weaving in and out of Real Sociedad defenders and putting the ball right into the bottom corner. A brilliant start with two goals in seven minutes, and it was big for Sevilla. It's Still, though, we'd been seven minutes in with three goals, and it won't be long until the next one either. 14 minutes, and it was Alexander Isak this time with the Vaselina the chip over Bono. But it wasn't done there. Things did calm down. There weren't another four goals in the next 14 minutes, but there was going to be a winner, and it was for Sevilla.
3: Ballo delantero. Goal,
5: ah, you Tenía
4: so no surprises there, it was Enes again. Diene goal, that famous Spanish phrase, can he score goals? Diene muchísimo gol. he can score a lot of goals. That was just how Inezeri performed. He's not always been the most consistent since he joined Sevilla, but he produced the goods on Saturday. It pulled Sevilla level on points, 30 points apiece with Real Sociedad, but with three fewer games played. Hulan Lopetegui signed a new contract on Sunday, and if Sevilla are to meet their ambitions for this season, they will look back on this as a crucial win and a crucial three goals from Yusuf Inezeri. Unbelievable drama there in that
2: game, really a lot of fun, and all played out under the sun. There was hardly a cloud in the sunny Seville sky, so we were able to forget about the snowy weather hitting other parts of Spain as we all tuned into that one. Now, we're going to take a short break here and then when we come back, we've got a lot more to discuss. We'll be talking about Barcelona's big win at Granada, about how much Celta Vigo missed two key players as they were thrashed by Villarreal, and we'll talk about Alaves's unwanted record. That's all coming up after this short pause.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more.
2: Hello and welcome back to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. We're recapping matchday 18. A matchday in which only 7 matches were played over Friday, Saturday and Sunday because of some postponements due to the adverse weather hit in Spain. The first of them that got the weekend off to a fast start was when Villarreal came out and scored four in the first half hour away at Celta Vigo for an eventual 4-0 win. Gerard Moreno, Moy Gomez, Danny Parejo and Fernando Nino got the goals. We're going to break that down now with Alan Dodson of the Villarreal USA SB Nation website. I want to start, Alan, by asking what your mood was at kickoff of this game and then how that had changed by halftime.
5: I think I was figuring we would win because we... um Typically played fairly well against Celta, and with their um, couple of key players being out, I think I was optimistic, but I didn't expect four goals in the first half. And and uh, yeah, it was pretty it was pretty awesome. I think the it's certainly the best we have played all year um, in in that first half.
2: What have you made of the partnership between Nino and Jared Moreno? They both scored in this one, and they seem to be two players who are understanding each other well.
5: One of the things that, if you haven't seen um, Virial play too much of late, that's really interesting is um, putting Girard back out on the right um, is working really well with Fair Nino in the middle and uh, Moy on the left. And I think that's, I think Fair is in a great position because he's got two, um, well, two very good, one very good player in Moy and one, um, Spanish international, maybe best striker, in Sp- uh, Spanish striker at the moment in uh, in Girard. Um, so I think it's a, it's an ideal place, and a, an ideal way for him to be learning. And I think he, that partnership is working really well. Fair is good at, he, he's mobile in the same way that Girard is. And he's got a real, um, he's what I would say is kind of a ball hawk. He's got a real good sense of of where to be to receive passes and things like that. And um, he's a he's a very good finisher. Um he's gonna you know he's gonna miss a few um but he but he certainly is when you look at the goals that he's scored, the easy ones are because he's are because he has that instinct to be in the right place at the right time.
2: So with the attack you've just described, VRL certainly aren't missing Taki Kubo, right? Who's just moved to Hatafi on a new loan. What did you make of his exit?
5: Are we missing Kubo? Gee, uh, <laughs> no. I think uh, it's one less headache to deal with. I think on. I think we're all getting tired of seeing the Madrid press, you know, lambasting Emery for not playing him. Um, I think the reality is that with the emergence of, of some of our younger players, who are our own players the need to develop Kubo and give him minutes just wasn't there and he really hasn't didn't fit into our plans as it turned out so I think let's move on
2: yeah let's let's move on to Etienne Capoue who came in during this window what grade would you give the midfielder for his debut
5: I thought Capoue I don't have the statistics in front of me but he, he certainly uh, did a lot of um, ball recoveries, and uh, the thing that was impressive to me, it didn't lead to a goal in the end, but there was one play he made where he got the ball and it made a long crossfield pass. I believe it was to Moy who then crossed, and I think this was one that Fair narrowly missed. I can't remember. But um, I think that... Type of pass is the kind of pass that we weren't getting from Ebora even, but we certainly weren't getting it from Kokalan or or Foyth filling in at center midfield. So I think the fact that you've got somebody who can win the ball back and yet quickly make a make that transition into attack is really nice. We were playing um, at a at a faster tempo than we than we sometimes have. Now part of that was due to Celta i have to say um, i think they missed they missed Aspas but i think they really missed um, Tapia in in their back line and where we have had problems are against teams that sit back and want to let us possess the ball and and um, and play on the counter and that wasn't really Celta's style they 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 kind of want to have the ball themselves and so it ended up that we were able to control the game i think ball possession was roughly 50-50 but we were the ones who were able to create danger out of counterattacks and and the um the salted defense was pretty ragged I, I have to say i think the um center backs kind of parted like the red sea on one of the goals and and um i think they certainly didn't give a very good account of themselves but i think you're seeing what a what a couple of key misses are going to do um, to a small squad.
2: Yeah, they were really poor without Tapia and Aspas, as you say. Tapia was only suspended he'll be back, but how concerning will the Aspas absence be for Celta over the next few weeks?
5: The question, I think, for them is going to be how long Aspas is out, because he's certainly their talisman up front. Um... And if he's if they can kind of get through um, until he returns, I think they'll be okay. but it's the table is so tight right now that they may you know end up being back in 15th or 16th with a couple more losses and then if he comes back they can get up to eighth or ninth. I, I like their I, I, I think they're they finally found a coach who will work for them. I'm just not sure that the roster is deep enough to get through some of these injuries that they've got.
2: Interesting stuff. A pleasure to talk with you, Alan, as always. So thanks for that. We're going to move on now to Barcelona, who also had a 4-0 victory this weekend. They earned it against Granada with two Griezmann goals and two Messi goals. One of Messi's was a free kick, his first goal from a direct free kick since last July. Here's Romain care connecting now to discuss this Barca win, a victory that makes it three in a row to start 2021. All of them away from home at Huesca, at Athletic Club and now at Granada. Roman, you couldn't have asked for a better start to the year than that, could you?
1: Definitely not. I mean, (laughs) I definitely didn't expect Barca to win three games in a row and even less three games away from home where Barca usually aren't as comfortable, you know, as when they are at the Camp Nou and it's not just the fact that they've won and they got three points in all these matches it's also how they've been playing I think there's a slight improvement you know with every game especially in the last two uh, where Kuman finally went for that 4-3-3 formation which a lot of people were asking for Um, and I think it really worked well especially in in attacking positions Barca generated a lot um, as usual but in this case they were even more efficient they were getting the goals we were saying previous podcasts that Barca you know were lacking they weren't uh, making the most of this, these opportunities. And finally, uh, in these few games, uh, they've managed this to get those goals. Uh, Messi seems to be shining again, and it's great news for Barcelona to start off 2021 like this. And let's hope that it can continue. It's not just one of those ups and downs.
2: Messi is certainly looking back to his best. What do you expect from him over the second half of the season?
1: I mean, what's not to expect with Leo Messi in, in good form, you know? Um, I still think winning the league is very, very, very complicated, even if Messi's at his best, because it's it's a long competition and I just um, don't see Barcelona being that consistent. But I mean, with Messi, we can hope for other things like, for example, uh, that second spot in La Liga. Could be a possibility, maybe winning a smaller title such as Supercopa. Uh, if we get a bit lucky in, in those games, that could be a possibility. Because and let's not forget that it's not just Messi improving because uh, now he's getting those goals in play, now he's getting those free kicks. It's also the teammates around him are also improving. Frankie the Young looks much better now. Pedri, we all know, is shining. And there are other examples. So, of course, we still have those defensive problems which will uh, cause a lot of trouble going on in in a lot of competitions but with a good attack with Leo Messi in this uh, shape I think we could do more damage than we previously expected at the beginning of the season.
2: Yeah you're right it's not just Messi it's Griezmann too for example we should probably praise him since we do criticize him when things are bad so what did you think of Griezmann's performance?
1: I think uh, the problem that Griezmann has had up until now is that he just doesn't participate as much as he should. in in Barcelona's game I mean of course he's there of course he's making uh, the right movements to open up spaces Uh, of course he's dragging defenders of course he's always giving his 100% when he comes down to defend Uh, when other strikers don't even come you know Griezmann is there to try and help so that's he's got the attitude but I just think he needs to connect more with the teammate be more uh, take part more, sorry, in the in the, gen- the plays they generate, uh, touch the ball more often, take more risks. He has to be a leader in this team, you know, and I think he's beginning to understand this little by little. And of course, those two goals he scored are a big boost of confidence because he's a guy who needs to score week after week, game after game, not one or two goals every four or five matches, you know. He has to be a regular goal scorer to have his confidence at an optimum level. So those two goals should help. That game overall should help, and hopefully uh, Griezmann can find that consistency we're always talking about. Because it seems like at some point of the season he's he's getting back, he's he's looking really good, and then suddenly he kind of fades away. So hopefully now Griezmann can hold on to this level and make it last.
2: Griezmann's fellow World Cup winner Samuel Titi came back in to the starting lineup because of a, a late injury to Ronald Araujo just before the game, and because of the suspension of Longley. What do you think of how he did?
1: Well, obviously, Umtiti was on the field because there was no other option. I mean, I guess they could have played the uh, young as a centre-back, but, I mean, Umtiti is there after all. He's, he's recovered for now a while. You know, he's been training. He's been playing a few games. So it made sense to play him uh, instead of Araujo, who was injured in the end. And honestly, I don't think he had too much... Uh, work to do in this game, to be honest. I mean, it's true that at the beginning, Granada looked quite intense in attack. They generated some good opportunities. But overall, I felt like with every single goal Barca was scoring, Granada's offensive production was just, you know, uh, coming down and down. And defensively, um, there was, it wasn't that demanding for players such as Umtiti. So, I mean, he had a good game overall because there were no major mistakes. And, and of course, no goals were conceded. But... um I still wouldn't trust him 100%. Umtiti, we all know, could get any, injured any moment, could make a big mistake any moment. He, he needs, I think, a lot of games to actually find his form and become the Umtiti he was before, which I think is very complicated. But if he wants to get near to his best level, he would have to play consistently. And at the moment, that's not going to be very easy for him Taking into account that players like Mingueta, Araujo, Lenglet um, are, are doing better than him on the field.
2: You mentioned earlier that maybe Barcelona could win a smaller title like the Supercopa this year. Well, that's what's up next. They face Real Sociedad in the semi-final on Wednesday. Is this competition much more important to Barcelona than usual then?
1: In my opinion, there aren't many titles Barcelona can win this season. I think, as I said before, the league is very, very complicated. The Champions League, I think, is practically out of the picture and it would have to be either the Copa del Rey or uh, the Supercopa as you mentioned and I think it is a good opportunity for Barcelona especially as it's starting right now uh, just after Barca's great start to to 2021 with those uh, three wins which will give them a lot of confidence Uh, they're playing better, Dembelez seems to be sharper, Messi seems to be sharper, Griezmann also so in general Barca's squad uh, is finding a sweet spot you know in the way they're playing so this could be a good opportunity for them to carry on with this level and actually uh, hopefully beat Real Sociedad and maybe uh, win the final of the Supercopa so it's definitely the title they're most likely to win in my opinion if they want to achieve any trophies this season because the Copa del Rey is a possibility but of course there's more games it takes longer and it's a bit more unpredictable.
2: Thanks Roman we'll look forward to the Supercopa then Barcelona versus Real Sociedad is the first semi-final, then Real Madrid vs. Athletic Club on Thursday. On Twitter, we'll be covering all the developments from those games, so be sure to follow at LaLigaLowDown. Let's move on to the pre-games that were played on Sunday. The first of them being Levante vs. Eibar. Takashi Inui put Eibar ahead to mean they're the only side to have scored in every single away game they've played so far this season, but it was in vain as Gonzalo Melero and Jose Luis Morales responded with the goals that gave Levante a 2-1 victory. They were up into 10th now into the top half of the table, which is quite amazing considering they were in the relegation zone as recently as the week before Christmas. Cadiz also earned a home victory on Sunday as they played against Alaves. The thing all season about Cadiz is that they needed to score the first goal, they've conceded the first goal in 8 games this season and have lost 6 of those ones. But in this one, they did go ahead first as Alex Fernandez got them going and that sparked them towards a 3-1 win. They were definitely helped by a red card for Tachi at the start of the second half for Alaves. That was Alaves' sixth red card of the season, by far the most in the division. In the Sunday night game, Valencia earned a 1-0 win away at Real Valladolid. Now, this was much needed because they'd failed to win their previous eight in La Liga since that big win over Real Madrid. Carlos Soler hit the only goal of the game with 15 minutes remaining, he fired in a powerful strike from distance but questions will be asked of Real Vitaly goalkeeper Jordi Masipu has been dropped for less in the past, we'll see what happens there next time out. As I mentioned right at the start, we are expecting to have two Monday night La Liga games there's also a couple of rescheduled La Liga matches from earlier in the season that should be played on Tuesday. And then there's the, Super Cup, the Supercoppa. The next full round of La Liga action isn't actually until the midweek of January 19th, 20th and 21st. So that's when we'll be next coming to you with a matchday recap podcast. But in the meantime, do check out a new series that we're running where we're going to be one by one doing a full podcast on the history of each La Liga club. The first one is already out and it tells the story of Athletic Club. You can find that in the same place where you download our matchday recaps. For now, I want to thank this week's contributors. That's Hassan Karim, Sam Leveridge, Alan Dodson and Roman de Arcaire. I've been your host June McTeer and I thank you a lot for tuning in.